Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. Don't, don't be upset by a northern bloke. Ronaldo, he looked at me, smiled, he never done it again. What's in there, Mickey? He went, oh, that's about 300 grand in there, kid. If I'm on the opposite end of an argument, Piers Morgan, that's a very comfortable position that I'm happy to be in. I think I'd be up there with one of the most irritating cricketers. Tom, we were getting on so well until that question. <laughs> you boys going to get absolutely hammered. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast, the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic teenagers who interview some of the biggest names within the world of sport. From world champions, World Cup winners, international athletes, Ryder Cup golfers, Ashes heroes and many other sportsmen and women, we delve deep into their sporting career, the highs and the lows and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. But that's enough for me, I'm going to hand you over to the stars of the show, Tom and Avatar, who host the podcast, and I'll let them introduce today's guest. See you later. The TWS Sports Podcast is hosted by pupils from Tenderwood School in the UK. Our school is for autistic children and young adults, and we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sportsmen and women from a variety of different sports. Join us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is a Premier League footballer who has played for a number of teams such as Newcastle, Sunderland and Cardiff City. Welcome to the podcast, Michael Chopra. Hi, how are you doing? Great, thanks. How are you today? Yeah, good, all good, apart from the weather. The weather's not very nice, but look, I get a chance to speak to you guys, so it brightens my day up. Yeah, that's amazing. So we like to start our podcast off with some quick fire questions before we ask you about your career. Are you ready? Yeah, let's go. So if you if you could go back to one year in your life, what what year would that be and why? I think it would have to be 2002 um, when I made my debut for Newcastle. Um, obviously me being a a, a Geordie and 
managing to to play for my hometown club. It was a dream come true, and I'd love to to recapture that moment again. It was a special moment. Who is the most famous person in your phone book? Um, Alan Shearer. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? Oh, tough question. <laughs> Obviously, being a footballer, you'd love to to live the life of, of someone like Lionel Messi or, or Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, obviously Cristiano because of it would be great to see the insight of how well he how, how much hard work he puts in um, off the field into his training but on the other hand it would be great to see Lionel Messi's life because obviously he doesn't need to put the, the hard work in like Cristiano but he's got the he's, he's naturally gifted footballer it'd be great to, to be in two different lives for two amazing superstars Firstly before we start when we were doing our research, we read that your real name is not actually Michael, it is Rocky. Is that correct? And why aren't you known as Rocky? Yeah, that's correct. Look, my mum and dad must have liked the Rocky movies when, when I was born. Yeah. Um, no, I'll t- I tell you what it is. Um, obviously, with me being half Indian, um, my dad's side of the family wanted me to have an, an, an Indian name. Um, and my mum's family being English wanted me to have an English name so obviously Rocky's pretty much an Indian name and Michael's a, an English name um, but I don't know why this is from when I was young um, everybody went by me as, as Michael and not what my original name is as, as Rocky it was only until I went to India um, in 2016 2017 I think it was when I just decided to have Rocky on the back of my shirt. Um, and people in India for one year were calling me Rocky. And once I left India, you come back to come back to Europe and you, you, you get called Michael again. So I, I don't know why people don't call me Rocky, but it's just it's just throughout my year, everyone's everyone's called me Michael. You growing up as a child, do you want to be a football player? And why do you get to into a football? I think, look, I think um, my, my dad was a big Newcastle fan. Um, obviously, he played football. My, um, his brother played football for Burnley um, in the youth team. So I think it, it was kind of in the family that there was a little bit of um, the football genes. But look, when you, when, you, when you grow up in Newcastle, everything's football mad. You, you, you're black and white. Whatever happens on during the week, everybody looks forward to the, to the match at the weekend. Uh, it's just the, the, the it's realistically it's just the culture in Newcastle. You, as soon as you're born, you, you get a football chucked at you. You get a black and white strip, and, and you, you're a footballer. Um, look, mum and dad didn't put any pressure on me, which you, you see nowadays. A lot of parents are desperate for their kids to become footballers. They didn't put any pressure on me. It was just like do whatever you want to do. If you want to become a footballer, then you've got to work hard and. I had to work so hard. I had to make a lot of sacrifices. I couldn't go out with my friends at night and stuff like that. I was so dedicated and fully focused on on being a footballer. Once you've made your debut in the first team, go and do whatever you want. You've made it. Do you know what I mean? But you've got to give yourself the best opportunity you can in life to, to succeed at what you want to do. You started your career at Newcastle. What are your memories of your time there? Uh, look, I had some great memories. Um, I, I was playing for Newcastle when they were probably at the best. They were finishing second in the league. 
Man United were winning league, we were finishing second. Uh, we won the Champions League every year. We won Europe. Uh, I was playing as a striker alongside the England captain at the time, Alan Shearer. Uh, we had Patrick Cliver in our team, Michael Owen. And obviously, of course, we had a, an amazing manager, who the late Sir Bobby Robson, who people talk about as being one of the best football managers that's ever lived. People talk about Alex Ferguson. But when you ask a lot of lot of players and, and, and coaches, they, they always mention Sir Bobby. And look, I've been fortunate in my life at Newcastle to, to work with these amazing athletes. And in a way, I, I might not have become the player I was if I didn't work with these special people as well. You made your debut for Newcastle against Everton at St. James Park. That must have been a very special moment for you. Yeah, look, it was, it was a great moment and also a bad moment. <laughs> Obviously, wearing wearing the black and white shirt and, and playing in front of my, my hometown fans who had I, I, I supported all my life, it, it was a dream come true. It, it was a great occasion. Bad memory is the, the game went to penalty shootout and me being a local a local boy and trying to be the hero, I decided to take a penalty. And I missed. Um, and then you've gone from having such a high to having such a low in, in the space of, of a day. And look, that's what, what football brings. It brings you highs and it brings you lows. It's, it's how, you, how you cope with it. Um, but look, it, it, was, it was a special moment and a special memory for myself and my family and all the people that helped me along the way. As a teenager, you were playing in a great Newcastle team with the likes of Alan Shearer, uh, Craig Bellamy, Kieran Dyer, Gary Speed, Shay Given, and more. What was it like as a teenager playing with those players? Look, it, it, it was amazing because at night time when you go to bed, you dream about playing with these players. When I was a young boy uh, coming through the academy, I, I used to go to bed watching videos about these players and and that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, one day. I got asked to go and go and train with the first team and you're looking around and you're in awe because I was watching these guys on TV last night on videos and and now I'm actually training with them and and when I was um, told that I can go and uh, get changed and everything in the, in the in the first team dressing room and you're sitting back and you're looking around and the names you mentioned there they're all they were all international players at the time top international players and I was sitting here to my left I was Alan Shearer was getting changed next to me, <clears throat> and th- this is the England captain who was a f- is the Premier League's all time top scorer. Um, it w- look, it was a, just a dream come true, and look, I was in awe of the, of the of them type of people, them type of footballers. But like like I said, it's memories, and nobody can take that away from you. And like I said, dreams do come true because it happened to me, and. Uh, it, it was a, a special moment. You had a number of loan spells at the start of your career. Did you find it difficult going out on loan, or do you think it helped you as a long as a young footballer? I think it helped me. Um, when I was seventeen, eighteen, you have that tendency to think I don't really want to go out on loan. I, I, you don't want to like. <clears throat> I was playing at a big club at Newcastle. A lot of players now just sit sit on the bench. They're happy to to just sit there. And, yeah, I'm playing for Man United. I'm playing for Man City. Uh, but I believe that 
the to, to get experience in, in what you need to do in life and to become a better footballer, you, you need to go and you need to go out alone. You need to play football every week. That's that's the most important thing for these young players even now. Um, so yeah, for me to to go out alone so early in my career, look, it was hard because you've you've been brought up and you only know one thing. I I, I was brought up in Newcastle. I was living my life in Newcastle, playing for the football club, and then all of a sudden I was going on loan to to Watford, who are in London, and Newcastle to London. It was a, a long way, and I had to get on with it. It happens in, in football, and thankfully for me, I had I had a really good loan spell at Watford. We got to the FA Cup semi-finals um, against Southampton, which which was a great occasion, and even I think it was the year after that I went on, on loan to to Barnsley for a full season. It wasn't too bad because I obviously to Newcastle is only like one and a half hours drive, so I could get back and forwards from home. But for me to become a better player, I had to drop down a division, and I had to realistically, I had to to learn the game. You have to play against tough defenders that are going to kick you and not give you a minute's peace. And look, everything in my game, I've learned from going out on loan and. and, and and that sort of thing. You then signed for Cardiff City in 2006. What was it about Cardiff that made you want to join them? Um, there was a, there was a few factors. Um, obviously, um, the, the, it was the old stadium at the time, Minion Park. Now I'd watched a couple of games there before I actually went. Um, Cardiff played Leeds in, in one of the cup matches and the atmosphere was fantastic at the time one of the owners was Sam Haman who was a crazy owner he used to be the owner of Wimbledon I had a good chat with him Peter Ridsdale who used to be the owner of Leeds he, he, he told me the plans for the football club and obviously Dave Jones the manager he, everything that they told me I fitted into their plans and thankfully for me I had a great season that year. Where I, I, I think I scored 22 goals in in 42 two games in the championship, which to drop down from the Premier League, I knew I had to drop down the division to then try and get back into the Premier League. I had to prove to people again that I was good enough for the Premier League. And thankfully for me, after one season, I did that. You got off to a great start at Cardiff City, scoring 22 goals in your first season. Do, do you feel at home at Ninian Park? Yeah, definitely. Like like I've already touched on, it, it was a stadium that, it was, it was an old-fashioned stadium. The fans were so close to the pitch. The atmosphere was unbelievable. And the group of players we had, um, we got on so well. It, it, it was brilliant. After training, we all used to go home and we used to play the computer games, Call of Duty, FIFA. We used to wear the headsets and everything. Look, mm-hmm. Some of the things we used to do, it, it, it was it was unbelievable. But the team spirit we had was was down to that. It, it, it brought the group really close together. You then had a controversial move to Newcastle's rival Sunderland. Why did you decide to join Sunderland, and what was the reaction like from the supporters? Well, the reaction wasn't very good. Um, obviously, going from being a Newcastle boy, Newcastle fan, and I think it was in 2006 I scored for Newcastle against Sunderland at the state at Sunderland's hometown ground at home stadium. Um, so yeah, we, look, it was tough, but 
but I was a I was a northeast boy and I wanted to go back to to the area. I'd lived in Wales for a year. I wanted to get back to the northeast. Another factor was Roy Keane was the manager. Now, if you want to become a better player, then you've got to learn from the best. And Roy Keane was one of the best. He'd learn, he played under Sir Alex Ferguson, so the managerial skills he had were, were, were fantastic. Um, and another factor is I wanted to play back in the Premier League. Um, when there's a chance to play in the Premier League, you've, you've got to grab it with both hands because it might never have came for me again. So I, I had to take it with both hands and, and I made a decision. And thankfully for me, it, it kind of worked out. What was it like to play for manager with Wani Key? Look, he, he, he was a brilliant coach. So when you watch the guy on TV now, Roy Keane, that's how he was as a, as a coach. He, he's, he's honest. He's just straight to the point. If something's not right, he'll tell you. He's not like all these other coaches that, yeah, you do well when realistically you're not doing well. He's straight to the point and tells you how it is. If you're not good enough, you're not good enough. If you're doing well, you're doing well. If he needs more from you, he needs more from you. So yeah, that it, it, it was it was great to to uh, to play under him and to to learn from him because look, he was the captain of Manchester United when they won the European when they done the treble. He he was playing with David Beckham, playing with Dwight York, Paul Scholes, all these top international players. Now I learned a lot from him at the time during your time at Sunderland. You were gambling a lot. When did your love of gambling start and how bad did it get? I think it was probably when I was in Newcastle. Obviously, it was a culture. It was a culture thing. It was it was in football back then. It was it, it, it was bad. You could, there's, you could see it on the England team bus as well when, when England were going to play matches and there was a big thing about England players playing card, a card school on the team bus going to games. It, when I was growing up, it, it was in the culture, it was in the football world. Um, you don't really see it that, that much now. Um, so I think it started when I was in Newcastle. And look, it, it became really bad. I had to go to rehab. Um, it was the only way that I could that, that could be fixed and it was the only way that, was good, that it was going to help me. We read in an interview you did that you were betting £40,000 on one bet. Looking back now... What advice would you give to a young footballer who is in your situation as a young man? Looking back now, I, I would ask them to to, to get help. Um, if you've got that many people in the football club, um, the Professional Footballers Association, the PFA, that are, are reaching out to, to young players now to, to try and help them because, look, it, it's an addiction and you, you, you can't help yourself at the time. You need to, you need to ask help yourself. Nobody knows what's going on because it's not like a, a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction where it affects your body. A gambling addiction doesn't affect the, your face. It doesn't affect your body. Um, so you don't know what's going on inside somebody. So I, I'm, I've always spoke to people. If, if you're in trouble, speak out. There's so many people out there that want to help. Um, so, yeah, as, as a young young sports person or any young person in the in the world that has got a problem then speak out because it's only just right somebody's right next to you that that's in the same position and wants to help you what was the most you ever won from a single bet <laughs> it's a tough question because I've, i had that many bets that 
when I was winning, it wasn't. It didn't feel like I was winning because within 10, 15, 20 minutes, it, it was gone. You've lost the money. Um, so to, to put a, an exact figure on on your question, it, it's a it's a hard one because I, I, I didn't really think about how, my, my biggest win and that sort of thing. It was yeah, it was more a case of um, how can I how can I try and get it back what what I had lost. Um, Michael, so I want to jump in and ask a question. So yeah. when back in sort of the mid two thousands, when maybe you were gambling your most online gambling wasn't as as out there as it is now. So I can pick up my phone right now and bet on anything in the world. Do you know is gambling in football is getting worse? And when you were doing it, I presume you were doing it at the bookies. Realise that Michael Chopper was in the bookies and try and help. No, that that's that's the thing. It was it was a culture thing in football back then. People people don't want to help you. When when you when you're going into the bookies, people people just look at you and oh, the, there's a football in the bookies sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? But back then it was more of a case of we would have a, a an account where they give you credit, and after the month you'd pay the account off at the end of the month sort of thing. So it was more a private thing as well, uh, a private bookmaker sort of thing. But look, I've had so many discussions with Gamcare, Gamstop about the, what, what happens in football now. Now, when 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 I was on the pitch, I was fully focused on football. But as soon as you come off the pitch, our sponsor at Cardiff or wherever was was a gambling company. Now, you, you're looking at your player, well done, you've done well today. But you can see the, the gambling company on, on the strip. Now, your brain triggers automatically into a different thinking. It's just, just the way uh, addict, uh, people who've got addictions think. Now, if you can stop the, the trigger in your brain, then it's going to help people not gamble. And I've always said this, why, why, why do, what, if you look around the stadiums, there is a big problem in sportsmen and sportswomen in, in, in gambling. So why have all these sponsor boards and advertising boards about all these gambling companies? Why don't the Premier League just say no club is allowed to, to advertise gambling? Then you'll see a big drop in, 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 in cases within within football. I know it will because I know how, how people react when, when something triggers in their mind. There's always going to be a problem in football until the Premier League clamp down on it. There'll, there'll always be a problem. I know the Premier League were trying to do something last year or the year before where in between half-time and the adverts they were trying to stop the, the gambling companies advertising between the breaks. But Bet365 Bet were still doing it. They, were, they, they still had the power to do that. But look, you can help as as many people as you want, but until they want to seek help themselves, then you, you can't help someone. And look, I was in the same position. I would always say to people, there's nothing wrong with me because I've always believed that I could fix myself. You can't fix yourself. You need the help. And that's why I'm always here. There's other people at the PFA. There's other footballers that want to try and help other professionals because when it gets you, it's, it's hard to get out of it. Is there a certain point that you can remember where you thought enough is enough? I need to get help for my addiction. I think it was when I when I went to Sunderland. Um, I spoke to the football club, told them I had a problem, but I told them that it wouldn't affect my football. Which, whenever I've had a problem within gambling, it's never affected my football. Uh, for some reason, people can't quite understand that because when you have a problem off the field, it normally affects it. But 
once I stepped over that white line, I was 110% focused on what I had to do for the football club because at the end of the day, that's my job. My job is to become a fo- to be a f- professional footballer, to try and help the football club become the best they can possibly become. But when I stepped off that white line, I didn't have football. I needed something else. And that's why I turned to the gambling. So we've got some really exciting news for the TWS Sports Podcast. We've been shortlisted for a Sports Podcast Award, which is absolutely incredible opportunity for the podcast. So the Sports Podcast Awards are recognised globally. So if you have a sports podcast, you can enter. And there are hundreds of thousands of sports podcasts around the world. And over Christmas, the judges shortlisted us to the final eight. So we are in the best equality and social impact category. We're up against some great podcasts from the BBC. There's one about the Olympics and there's lots of other fantastic podcasts. And it's down to the public to vote for a winner. So we really need you to vote for us if you can. If you just go on www.sportspodcastawards.com and then look into the best equality and social impact category, and please, please, please drop TWS Sports Podcast a vote. We'd really, really appreciate it. Tom, come to you first. How do you feel being shortlisted for, for such an award? Well, I'm very grateful for it. And I think it's an achievement for all of us um, to go hit that milestone, really. So, And also, uh, like I already mentioned, please make sure to vote, everyone. It is so just an incredible achievement for a small special school in in England to be shortlisted for an award against these huge TV corporations and, and huge other podcasts such as the Olympics and the BBC. It's just incredible. So we really, really need all our listeners to vote. Please tell your friends and your families and your colleagues to vote as well. It's really simple to do. So just head to www.sportspodcastawards.com, register, search for the best equality and social impact category. It does only take one, two minutes and we really, really appreciate your vote. After I come to you, what? How do you feel about being shortlisted for this award? Um, actually, um, that award we give us like um, we try everything we want. Like me, Watkins, Adam, we supported to like uh, the award um, ceremony because um, yeah, we've done. Uh, we're proud of us. Everyone, we're proud. Yeah, definitely, we are very proud. I'm very proud of you boys because it just shows how much your hard work and determination and skills have developed and how it's now been recognised by people globally, how how good the podcast that you host is. So it's down to you, you two boys and your hard work. So congratulations on your shortlisted boys. But we want to win, don't we? So please, please vote for us. And we really, really appreciate all your support. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. So you then joined Cardiff City for... Three million pound. Do you weigh, um, want to return to Cardiff? Yeah, look, I'd, I'd, I'd love to. Look, I'd love to go back to Cardiff. Um, obviously, I went. I, look, I, I think I've been. Um, I left Cardiff. I probably went back there probably three times during my football career. Uh, I think two of them might have been on one or two of them might have been on loan, and obviously I've signed for them twice. So. There is a part of, of there is a part of Cardiff City and, and Cardiff in, in my heart. It's a it's a great place to live. The the people there are, are so friendly. They're so nice. A bit like the the football fans at Newcastle. Um, they're so passionate about football. 
Uh, I spoke to the football club recently um, about possibly going back there and, and having a role in the club. Um, so hopefully when I get back to the UK next week, um, I can go to one of the matches and, and, and speak to the football club and, and see what if there is a possibility of me going back to the club that I love and the fans also love me. Cardiff City Manager Dave Jones and Chairman Peter Risdale always had a mixed reaction from Cardiff City fans. What was your relationship like with them both? I had a great relationship with with the chairman and, and, and the manager um, because at the end of the day, I think it's probably because I've done so well for the football club and I've done well on the pitch. Now, if you're doing well for the football club, then you're going to get treated differently. Um, and look, lots of players have come out and said that I got a special service and some days I didn't have to come in training. But at the end of the day, if you produce the goods on the weekend, and you score goals and the club's winning then the manager kind of let me do whatever I wanted he let me go back to Newcastle whenever I wanted um, let me have time off whenever I wanted but as soon as I stopped scoring on the weekend he would go crazy with me he would let me know that I took my foot off the pedal and I need to be focused again for the football club and I need to be back on the right track Mike that's quite a a strange kind of managerial way of putting it, like letting a player yeah. kind of do what he wants. Lots of players would take advantage and sort of take the nick out of that. Look, I, I, looking back now, I probably did take advantage. Um, we had me, obviously, you know, Jay. Uh, me and Jay had a, a great relationship on the pitch, off the pitch. And Dave Jones treated us differently to how he treated the other players. Uh, the man management for me and Jay, he couldn't do what he was doing to the other players. He couldn't do that with me and Jay because we we didn't agree with it, if you know what I mean. He had to kind of treat me and Jay differently if we wanted to to have uh, time off or sometimes he would say, the gaffer would say to me, look, you want to go to Newcastle? You scored, you scored the weekend. We win the game. I'll see you on Tuesday. I'll see you on Wednesday. Get yourself home. Go and have some me time, if you call it. Um, look, it worked for him. Do you know what I mean? That Cardiff were getting great results. It was working at the time. Any friction? Like, I'm sure you didn't say to Gavin Ray, go back to Scotland. Well, did that ever cause any friction? I've I've read reports and look, you read interviews from players that I've played with, and Gavin Ray's come out and said it himself that it wasn't right what was happening. But when people look back, is were they performing on the pitch? And we were. So if 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 he if he treated us the same as the other players, then he might not have got the performance out of me and Jay on the pitch, if you know what I mean. So the man management of Dave was was brilliant because he knew how to treat me and Jay. He had to put his arm around me and Jay and, and look after us sort of thing because he knew we 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 were his prize assets. We we were the guys that were were gonna score goals for him to win games and get them into the playoff final and, and and that sort of thing. Now, some of the players didn't like that. John Parkin didn't like that. Obviously, he was a striker. He was trying to force his way in the team. Gavin Ray didn't like that. I've read, report, read reports about that. Mark Hudson said a couple of things. But if it works for some players, you have to you have to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, do you know what I mean? But it's we did take advantage at the time, but we were producing the goods at the weekend. 
There was also another controversial character at the club called Sam Ham Man. What, <laughs> what was your relationship like with him and what was he like to you? Look, this, this, this is the guy I mentioned when I first left Newcastle and came to Cardiff when he asked me about what were the reasons to come to Cardiff and he was one of the reasons. He, he, he was Look, he was crazy. He was a. Uh, if you look at the videos, what he was like when he was owner of Wimbledon back in the day, they, they were called the Crazy Gang, and he he was part of it. We were we we'd walk out in Indian Park and through the tunnel, and you look to the right, and there was a a, a Diaz head on on the wall in the stadium. And I said to Sam, I went, "What's this for?" And he was like, "Oh, this is just a, a memorabilia from when I went shooting and, and this sort of thing." I was like. But why you could why put it in the stadium? It was like, oh, it's just the, the culture, the routine I have with with my family and and everything. Look, he he wore the football club on his sleeve. He, he was a diehard football guy, um, but he took Cardiff to that next level. The players that we signed that season, um, obviously myself, Steve McPhail, Kevin McNaughton, uh, Roger Johnson, uh, Peter Whitnam as well. Five players that he signed that year were five important players for Cardiff City. And I think it was down to to Sam Haman. Um, it was it was down to Sam Haman that we came to the club. Another story is um <laughs> when I, when I, when players normally move to football clubs, you normally get like a signing on fee uh from moving to a club. A club gives you money, a lump sum of money to to come to the club. So I asked. We, I asked Peter Ridsdale for a signing on fee and he said I can't do that Michael Would the club don't have enough money we, we don't have the money we caught it for on a tight budget so afterwards when when we had agreed the when he took me around the stadiums we went to uh, St David's which is the hotel there and we were having a, we were going to have lunch and um, Sam Haman joined and there was me uh, Dave Jones Peter Ridsdale and my agent at the time. And Sam Halan come in and he said, is everything okay? Peter's agreed everything here. And I just said, actually, Sam, I'd like to sign an on fee. And he said, yeah, no problem, Michael. I think Peter Ridsdale was kicking him under the table saying, no, Sam. <laughs> so he was like, yeah, no problem. No problem, you can have a sign on fee. But he was desperate for me to sign for the football club. And Peter Ridsdale was trying to do his best by not, by saving the club money, and Sam's come in and we'd be like, "Yeah, let's Sam. We we would love to sign off." He was like, "Yeah, no problem, no problem." It was just a, a great moment, a great memory I had with, with Sam. It was one of those things. I just want to take you back to the third of April, twenty ten, Cardiff Swansea, one all, yeah. ninety second yeah. minute. Uh, Adam Matthews throw in. Aaron Wilder heads it down straight to the feet of Michael Chopper, smash it back of the net, two one, ninety second minute. Is that the best goal you've scored in terms of? Local derby, winner, winner. What was it like <coughs> playing that game? You scored two that game, didn't you? Yeah, I scored two that game. Uh, one just before half time as well. Uh, look, I haven't really got uh, uh, most of. I haven't really got a special goal, if you, if you know what I mean, and favourite goal. But I, I've got special memories. Obviously, when I played for Newcastle against Sunderland, another local derby, uh, within thirteen seconds, I came on the pitch in two thousand and six and scored the equaliser for Newcastle. And then obviously the, the the time against Cardiff, Cardiff Swansea special games, derby games. The, when the fixtures first come out, when when the, when the Cardiff plays Swansea, 
They're, they're the fixtures you want to play in. They're, they're, they're the big games. They're the games that people need to stand up and be counted. And they're the games that make history. And, and people that you go down in, like I say, you go down in history. They're memories that live in, and last forever. <clears throat> and look, there's no better feeling and no better way to win a game than, than, than scoring a winner in the 92nd minute. And look, like, uh, even even now, I watched the video because it, it, look, it was a great memory for me. And never forget the Sky commentators shall chance for Chopper to win it. He has. Mm. Um, it's it's one of, one of those things. It was, it was a, a great memory, great occasion for for Cardiff City, great occasion for the football fans, and <clears throat> I think realistically that put a dent in Swansea's playoff hopes as well, and it, it, it kicked us on. I'm going to show you a picture from that game. Let me just get this this canvas. Let me show you. So this is this is the this is the picture from the winning goal that yeah. I've got. Nice, nice. Yeah. Wow. So look, um, th- these are memories that live with me forever. And like I said, look, I went down in history with Cardiff City fans. Nobody can ever take that away. When people talk about Cardiff City and Swansea local derby, this is the game they remember. They, re- they remember the. The 92nd minute. Nobody talks about my first goal I scored. <laughs> to make one. Nobody talks about that. People forget about that. They always talk about the winner. And, and look, it was it, it was unbelievable because look, I knew I had won the game for the club. And then to hear the the fans singing the song "What's That Coming Over the Hill" to Michael Chopra. Look, it was it. There's no better feeling in the world than scoring goals, and and to do that in front of a full stadium. Um, to win the game two one, um, it's such an important part of the season. It was, it, 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 like I said, dreams do come true, and another dream came true for me. The Henshaws Insurance Group is one of the top 100 independent insurance brokers in the country, and is here to bring you peace of mind. We've been in business for over 50 years, and have offices in Newport, Shrewsbury, and Stafford. Our 45 plus strong team deals with both business and personal insurance. And we offer a free, no obligation, consultations and quotations. So give us a call today. You reached the 2010 playoff against Blackpool. You ended up losing 3-2. What are your memories of that day? Um, well, we lost the game 3-2. Um Realistically, on a personal performance, I, I, I couldn't do anything more. Um, I've hit the post or the bar, you call it, the angle, in within the first seven or eight minutes in the game. I've then scored to to make a 1-0. You've gone 1-0 up at Wembley. Uh, and then in the second half as well, I've, I've, I've smashed one off the bar. So in a way, I kind of knew that things weren't really going to go my way. Um, leading up to the game, you're thinking you're playing Blackpool in a, in a playoff final. Before the season started, you'd pick one club out of the division. Who, you, who would you like to play in a playoff final? I think nine times out of ten, you would have said Blackpool because in a way, they weren't the greatest team. But on the day, they turned up and some of our big players didn't, didn't turn up on the day. Um, I was devastated because you, you you work so hard, you play 46 games during a season, then you've got two playoff games in the semi-finals against Leicester. 
you win that, you you go through on penalties, and you're in a playoff final at Wembley in front of 80,000, 90,000 fans. And you can't just get over that line. We, we got to be 3 2. And I was devastated. You can see the, the pictures. I was, I was crying because it felt like the whole world had fell apart. If you've let, you've let, in a way, you let the full, full country down of Wales because they're relying on Cardiff City getting into the, into the Premier League the first time uh, in Cardiff's history to, to play in the Premier League um, at the time. But it wasn't to be. And look, thankfully for Cardiff, but not for me, they, they managed to do that a couple of years later. You then left Cardiff City. We read that it was Craig Bellamy who pushed you out of the club after an accident at half-time at Bristol City. Can you recall what happened? Look, football players have always got superstitions. And one of my superstitions was I used to check my phone at half-time. Um, because what what people didn't realise is I was... Uh, I was speaking to a motivation coach from Newcastle, um, Steve Black, and he used to text me every now and again about the game and some words he used to tell me, he used to kind of kick me on for the second half. And I basically said, somebody's pinched my phone in the dressing room uh, against Bristol City. And everyone knows how well I used to do against Bristol City. We used to score many goals against them. And I, I basically said, I'm, I'm not going out until I get my phone. Then the physio, give me the phone, the physio, the fitness coach at the time, give me the phone. And I found out afterwards that Craig Bellamy had told them to to take my phone off me at half-time to, to concentrate on on the game. Now, I don't know why Craig Bellamy thought that I needed somebody, I needed somebody to tell me to concentrate on football when the problems I had in previous years before that didn't even come into consideration on the football pitch. So why all of a sudden should he tell someone to take my phone? So we had a, we had a little fallout and obviously Craig Bellamy being Craig Bellamy and coming from a big club like Man City, the owners respected him and I believe he he, he told the owners to get rid of me and to, to, to move me on and bring somebody else in. So what was your relationship like with, with Bellamy? Obviously you played with him at Newcastle. Yeah, and look. Him 10 years later at Cardiff. Was it a good relationship or was it quite good? <clears throat> When he was at Newcastle, when he was at Newcastle, I seen a totally different player, totally different player, totally different person. Uh, when he was at Cardiff, I was like, "This isn't the Craig Bellamy I know. He's he's more professional and and everything." I don't know if it because he had he he could become older and he played for Man City, and when you play one of the best teams in the world, Man City, um, you you have to mature and become a better player. Uh, so yeah, it was look. It was one of those things. We, it, we, I seen two different players, one at Newcastle, one at Cardiff. And look, he's probably matured and he's probably grown up from being the, the young kid he was at, at Newcastle. But look, I've got nothing, nothing against Craig. He's he's been a great footballer. He's helped me during my career when I was at Newcastle as a kid coming through. Um, and look, he he probably just trying to help. He he probably thought by doing that was helping myself, when really it wasn't. Um, and he was obviously trying to help the football club as well. So you had sold at in Norwich and Blackpool. Do you enjoy your time at both of these clubs? Well done. So you had spells at Ipswich and Blackpool following yes. Cardiff. Did you enjoy your time at those clubs? 
Ipswich, Ipswich was a good club. Um, it was a proper family club. Blackpool, it was tough. Blackpool was tough um, because the owners at the at the time, uh, the Oystons, weren't really in it for football. They weren't in it for themselves. Uh, they wouldn't water the training ground. You had to bring your water to the training ground. You had to wash your own training kit. It, it was tough for being a championship club. Um, so Ipswich, I really enjoyed the fans, the owners, the football club. Proper, proper football club. Blackpool, on the other hand, was totally different. Um, so I don't know if that was because I was coming to the end of my career and I wasn't really playing as much and I didn't really enjoy it as much. But to go from being in, in such a big club to then being a Blackpool, there was a, there was a big difference. We read that the police turned up during one of your training sessions with Ipswich to speak to you. What was that about? Yeah, <laughs> Look, when I when I when I was a footballer, I thought I was uh, I thought I was bigger and, and and better than anybody. It's just the way footballers think. You have this big ego, and you think you you think you're the best thing ever. Um, at the time in Ipswich, I was I got I think I got banned from speeding two or three three times, um, and I was involved in the gambling stuff. And obviously, the police wanted to to speak to me about it. Um, and it wasn't only until it, until. I left black, left Ipswich and, and and obviously when I went to to India that I realised that actually footballers are not these big thing. There's more to life than football. But yeah, the, the police came to speak to me about um, the speed and how I had to go to court and, and and that sort of thing. It was that's what it was about. But like I said before, people didn't understand. I had these problems off the pitch. How can I still do so well on the pitch? People didn't understand. After playing for Blackpool, you joined Indian football team Kerala Blasters, which are owned by cricketer Sachin Tendulkar. Why did you decide to leave England and how did you find playing in <coughs> India? Um, so the Indian set up, the Indi- India set up a new league, Indian Super League, um, and I wanted to be part of that. Obviously, with my dad's family being Indian, I wanted to uh, to try and give something back to the country. I wanted Indian fans to to see the Michael Chopper that they all watched on TV. I wanted to go to India, and and another thing is to learn the culture. I I'm Indian, so why not go go to my dad's my dad's family's country and and, and play football there? Um, it helped that the first season in India. Del Piero was there, Matt Arati, Anelka, Freddie Lundberg, David James, Capdevila, who plays in Spain. So you had some big players there um, that there were managers and, and players at the times. And look, to be mixing with these players, it, it, it was a dream come true as well. So they're the reasons why I really wanted to go to India and to, to get away from England. Um, how do you how how do you find the change in culture in India, and do you ever get to meet Shanky? How did you find the change in yeah, culture, Sachin. and did you ever get to meet Sachin? Yeah, I uh, I met Sachin a few times, um, obviously because he's the owner, and look, Sachin's like the the Michael Jordan of of, of India. He's the he's the the best cricketer that's ever lived. India was a great experience. 
It learned me a lot more about life. It realised that f- football is, is not everything. There's more important things to life than just being a footballer than just kicking a ball. It was hard to adjust. It was hard to adjust to the Indian people being late, not taking football so serious. Just them sort of things, really. Um, it was a, look. It was a great experience. Uh, I'll show you something else as well. This is this is one of Sachin's cricket tops. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, to Michael, all the best, Sachin Tendulkar. <clears throat> so when, whenever I go to, 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 to whenever you see superstars and, and special people, I tend to ask them for something that memorabilia that is worth something to me. Because um, you don't you don't forget these and look, he doesn't play cricket anymore, so you, there's never a chance he can you can get these gifts anymore. Um, but look, he, he was one of the best cricketers in the world and thankfully for me I've been he's been grateful to to sign a shirt and, and, and give me it as well so I see behind you Michael you got I presume that's Roy Keane um uh, this is this is Robbie Keane I've Robbie got Keane. a Woodgate one um, is the one that's your, your favorite or your most important I've got this one Alan Shearer I've got a I've got a, a really good one actually just recently uh, this one wow, Ramsey Oh, why has he played um, Arsenal and then he's played a different Italy? Yeah, he's in Italy. So this is the badge from the Euro 2021, which is the Euro tournament that just happened. Uh, This is the Wales shirt. And obviously, I don't know if you can see that. Uh, Wales v Denmark, uh, the 21st of June. Yeah. And he, he signed it for me as well. That's amazing. So obviously... People, people will ask me, why why Aaron Ramsey? When I was playing for Cardiff, Aaron came through the Cardiff Academy. Um, he made his debut when I was at the football club. So that's one of the reasons why I asked um, Aaron if I could have one of his, one of his whale shirts. So every shirt I get, it's, uh, there's, a, there's like a meaning behind it, if you know what I mean. Um, after a sale in Scotland, you the uh, uh, returned to India and you retired. Do you feel it was the right time to retire? I, I think so. Yeah. Um, look, I, I, I people 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 find this strange, but I started to you start to fall out of love with football. Now uh, people say to me, "How how is that possible?" But the end of the day, when you're coming to 34, 35, you know you've only got one or two years left. Now you have to start thinking about what you want to do after life and after being a footballer and that sort of thing. Did I did I really want to wake up in the morning and, and, and go to training nine o'clock till three o'clock and Christmas Day you're training, you're staying in the hotel Christmas night, you don't get to see your kids and spend time with them. It is tough for footballers, so I just decided that enough was enough. And I people say that I retired too early, but I didn't want to go to India and then come back to play in the UK and, and to play in League League One, League Two. No disrespect to to the people that play in them leagues, um, but it just it just wasn't for me. I, I don't think I could get motivated. To, you've gone from playing in India, which is what. 
about 35 degrees every day. So then coming back to the UK and, and playing in the winter and playing on a Tuesday night when it's raining, when it's snowing. and uh, So I just decided enough was enough. It's it's time to, to let go and let somebody else have their dreams. Looking yeah. back on your footballing career, when did we see Michael Chopra at his best? Well, obviously, I done well when I, when I went to Sunderland, uh, the, the first year in the Premier League. I think you look back at all the goals I scored for Sunderland in that first year. The, I think I scored six in the first year. If you if you look at the the goals I scored, how important it was for the football club because of the points we accumulated, it kind of kept them in the Premier League. So that was a great achievement for me. But I think the best season that I probably had was probably, look, you can say 2006 when I first went to Cardiff, uh, 2006, 2007, and also the, the second spell when we got to the playoff final in 2010. That was probably one of the, one of the best years when, when people seen the best Michael Chopra and the goals I was scoring and and and. And that season was was phenomenal. I think I scored four one game against Derby when we won six one. You 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 scoring in the playoff semi final against Leicester, and then you you've scored in Wembley against Blackpool, and nobody can take that away. And to say you've you've played at Wembley, and then to say you've scored there as well, it, it was a great great feeling and great occasion for me. Um, what? Do the future hold for Michael? Um, who knows? <laughs> Look, you, you, I just take it day by day. Um, I'm currently living in Amsterdam now. Mm. Um, I've seen a lot of lot of Ajax and how they train and the different ways the UK train and to Ajax and why why the Ajax produce the best players. I know that because what what I've seen and what goes on at their football club is is unbelievable. Um, but hopefully one day I could could come back to the UK and I'd love to come back uh, uh, to Cardiff at, at one point as well because look, it's a special club and the fans love me there and I I love the fans so hopefully one day um, I can end up back at Cardiff in, in, in some capacity if, if possible. I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Thank you so much, Michael, for taking the time to chat with us today. We really enjoyed speaking with you and it means so much to us as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. I've really enjoyed it. It's been great speaking to you guys. So, boys, Michael's just gone. Well done on another fantastic podcast. Start with you, Tom. How do you feel that went? Um, I think it went very well and I understood the seriousness of his gambling addiction in his past and I also really, really enjoyed about him talking about his journey. Really. Yeah, it was interesting listening to, listening to him talk about gambling and how addicted he was to it because it obviously can be very addictive and he was saying that was the culture he was brought up in and he did it to kind of fit in with his, his teammates in Newcastle and then I suppose it just spirals out, out of control, doesn't it? After, what was your favourite bit of the podcast? Uh, my favourite bit is he's talking about like, in he joined like Cardiff and then um, he joined Cardiff teams like, and then he joined 
he's joined actually he's got like um joined like how much like three million pounds or like that yeah so he joined Cardiff for <clears> three million pounds a lot of money isn't it yeah a lot of money million and, and yeah you see players now move for hundreds of millions of pounds which is just yeah. crazy yeah so boys thank you so much for joining us again on the podcast it was a pleasure doing it with you and you're both doing really really well so keep up the good work and we will see you all next week see you next next time see you next week the TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport this unique podcast is hosted by children with autism and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.